Hello and welcome to Renewing Your Mind, a web-based ministry of South Bay Community Church located in Fremont, California. It is our prayer that today's broadcast will be a blessing to you. Let us prepare our hearts to hear the word of the Lord. Good morning, family. Uh, We are excited that you all are here because it means you love Jesus to come, uh, come to church on Super Bowl Sunday. I'm excited to see you in here this morning. Amen. Um, I want to dive right into the message this morning. Uh, I'm going to read from the book of Daniel, chapter 6. And, and it's a bit of a long scripture, but I kind of want to set up the story a little bit. So um, if you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn with me to the book of Daniel, chapter 6. Uh, And if you are able, if you would stand with me as we acknowledge uh, the glory and the power of God's word. And I'm going to read the first 12 verses of Daniel 6. The words will be on the screen if you don't have a Bible with you. But family, I hope that you do. Amen. Daniel chapter 6, verses 1 through 12. If you have it, say amen. Amen. Let us hear the word of the Lord. It pleased King Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom with three administrators over them, one of them being Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel and his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, We will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So these administrators and satraps went as a group to the king and said, May King Darius live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days, except to you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now your majesty issued the, now your majesty issued the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went to his home. He went home. He went home to his upstairs room where the window opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree bow with me please father we are grateful that you are welcoming us into your presence that you have given us space to bow before your throne 
and to proclaim that your name is above every name. So Father, just wrap your arms around each person in this place, God. May they know that they are before your incredible, glorious throne and that your very spirit has called them here today. God, help us as we hear your words, as we think and ponder on the glory of who you are. God, help us get to get close enough that we will be changed by being in your presence. Bless each word that is said. Remove the messenger that your message may reach your people. I pray these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit of God. And all God's children said amen, amen and amen. God bless your family. You can have a seat. That portion of scripture is pretty popular. I'm sure you know how the next part of the story goes. It's the Daniel in the lion's den story. And um, Daniel goes, uh, he's placed into the lion's den by the king because of this decree. And he is uh, facing a certain death. These are hungry, ferocious lions, but God intervenes and he is saved. And uh, it's a wonderful story about faithfulness in the midst of persecution and opposition. But I, I wanted us to think about the story maybe a little deeper than we have because you don't just get into the lion's den and make it out on your first try. <laughs> so I wanted to unpack what, what was the story of Daniel? Who was this Daniel and, and how did this miraculous thing happen in his life? And since it is Super Bowl Sunday, I was thinking about kind of the sports theme. And so the, the metaphors I want to play around with today is, you know, the teams that we're on and, and the jerseys that we wear. So we, we uh, were encouraging folks to kind of be comfortable and casual and wear your, represent your favorite team today. So I see we got all kinds of uh, people represented out here, all kinds of sports teams. This is, um, for me, I know this one isn't as easy recognizable. This is a... Um, Negro League baseball jersey, um, and it's, it's my favorite jersey, so you're going to see this every year. Get, get used to this one. Um, so anyway, this is my team, and, um, and, and I was thinking, what does it mean to, to represent the team, right? This, you know, all kinds of fanfare and Super Bowl. We heard the stats. It's, it's a national event, and so if, if you'll indulge me, I want to frame this conversation in, in, in the jerseys that we wear. And what, what jersey was Daniel wearing as we hear this story? And, and I think it's important to kind of go back and understand how he got to this point. So I, I want to kind of quickly walk through Daniel. And, and, and I often am reading the book of Daniel in January because it's, it's uh, kind of connected to our time of 21 days of prayer and fasting. And it is a wonderful book, relatively short, and there are just some, some nuggets of wisdom. So I kind of I want to walk through this to, to have us understand who this Daniel really was. Because again, his story did not start in chapter six. We hear about Daniel being special very early on. 
I want to go back to the very first chapter. Uh, if you don't know the background, uh, the Israelites are in exile. They have been taken from their homeland. They are living in exile in a foreign kingdom. And what the king had done is he had taken the best and the brightest of the Israelites. The young men who had the greatest capacity, the most potential, the best and the brightest. And he said, we are going to take you and we are going to indoctrinate you in the ways of the kingdom. We're going to teach you how to think like one of us, how to act like one of us, how to talk like one of us. And then you will be put into the king's service. And so Daniel was with the rest of the bright young men, the, the best and the brightest of the group, and, and they're, taking, uh, they're taking this group in, and they are beginning to indoctrinate them and getting them to be ready for service in the foreign kingdom. And very early on, we see in Daniel chapter 1 that Daniel distinguishes himself. I mean, they brought him in. They've got the best that the kingdom has to offer, the best, of the, uh, the best of the experiences, the best of the food, the best of the entertainment. So he's here before this entire royal, uh, uh, royal spread. And Daniel makes a statement. Chapter 1, verse 8, he says, I'm not going to eat what they put before me. He says, Daniel resolved himself not to defile himself with the king's food. Hmm. And I want you to understand how, how odd this was. I mean, he's there. It's the best from the entire empire. It's chicken's wings and pig's feet just all over the place. And it's all you can eat buffet. And he said, I just want a salad. He was not going to get in trouble for eating this stuff. Everybody was doing it. There was dozens of young men that were being brought in, and it was just a handful of them that said, we're not going to do that. And he, he refused to do it because he felt like it would be defiling his God, defiling the temple that God had placed inside of him by going against the decrees from his God as opposed to the decrees of the king. The next chapter, what happens is Daniel is discovered to have a, a great gift. He can interpret dreams. And so there is a dream that King Nebuchadnezzar, this foreign king, has. And, he, and he's called all of his uh, soothsayers and all of his magicians and all of his advisors together and says, I want to know what this dream means. And if you can't, tell me I'm going to kill him. And he's very upset. And no one can figure out what this dream means. And then he hears about this little boy named Daniel, Daniel this young man. He says, come and tell me what this dream means. I hear that you have a gift. And what Daniel says is, Daniel tells him, I declare to you, there is a God in heaven who reveals the mysteries. He doesn't let the king give him credit for the gift. As soon as the credit comes to him, he said, no, you don't understand. This isn't my thing. This isn't my ability. I'm, I'm referring you. I'm deferring to the God who understands all mysteries. There is a God, and I am simply a vessel of this God who has given me a gift. But don't get it confused where the gift came from. Chapter 3, we see that he is uh, now dealing with a different king. Uh, no, so I'm sorry, this is the same king. It's the other, the other famous story that you hear in, in Daniel that uh, the, the king Nebuchadnezzar had built this great monument, this great, this great uh, idol of worship. And he demanded that everybody in the kingdom, when you hear the gong, bow down and worship this. This is a tribute to me and a tribute to how wonderful I am. And everyone should worship this idol, which is worshiping me. And, and he says, everybody must do it. And, and again, Daniel said, no, can't do that. Can't, can't worship you. And the king said, well, there's a price. 
If you don't worship me, what I'm going to do is I'm going to put you and your crew in the fire. And you're going to be destroyed. And Daniel and his crew stood together and made this statement that, that we hear. We don't need to defend ourselves against you. We don't have to do anything because our God is able to deliver us. Even if you put us in the furnace, our God has the power to save us from whatever you put in front of us. Whatever circumstance you place us into, my God is able. And even if he doesn't deliver us, that still doesn't mean that he's not God. Now, I do think it's important as a footnote that Daniel wasn't the only one who said that. He had some people around him that also knew God and believed God and trusted God. And so I would just say that in the midst of our uh, challenges, in the midst of our persecutions, we do need some people on the crew that think the same thing about God that we do. He was not a lone ranger out there, but the story goes on uh, in chapter five that, that there is another king. It's actually Nebuchadnezzar's son, and, and he's having this another dream. And again, he's trying to understand what does the dream mean? What is, what, what's happening? What's the future? I'm, I'm troubled by this dream, and no one else in the kingdom could figure out this dream. And, and he's, he heard about Daniel. You, you used to do this for my father. Come and tell me what this dream means, and I will give you gifts. I will give you the best honor in the kingdom. I will lift you up. You will have everything your hearts desire if you will just tell me what this dream means. I need you to come serve me, and I'll give you whatever you want. And he says, King, you can keep your gifts and your rewards. <laughs> I, I, I can't be bought. I have a gift from God and it's not for sale. <laughs> you can't manipulate my gifting for your purposes. Now, what I'll do is because God has been gracious to me, I'm going to be gracious to you and I'll, and I'll help you understand this dream, but don't think that you bought it. I'm just being gracious with my giftedness. And then we get to Daniel chapter 6, that there is a very clear decree. You may not worship any other God. And the Bible says in chapter 6, verse 10, that he heard the decree. He understood the decree. He was very familiar with the king and the decree. And it says he walked upstairs and he looked out the window towards Jerusalem and he got down on his knees and prayed three times a day like he'd been doing since he was way back in the king's service as a little boy. He directly defied the decree of the king because his God was more important to him. And then his God again showed himself faithful in Daniel's life. Daniel didn't just show up in the lion's den as his first test. God had been grooming him and preparing him and giving him small tests along the way that continued to grow and grow until he was the man who was ready for the task and ready to face the opposition at this point in time. And if I can use the metaphor, Daniel was very consistent with his jersey. He had the same jersey on the whole time. He didn't change teams. He knew whose team he was on and he refused to flip-flop. I think part of our problem as Christians is that we can have on more than one jersey. I, I've said this a couple of weeks ago. I, I remember I moved here in 1993 and my cousin in Oakland had season tickets to the Warriors. And so uh, they were horrible. And, um, 
and, and I went to the game, and uh, all six of us in line went right in, and we sat down, and uh, you'll get that later. Um, so we're in the game, and it's pretty empty, and there's no fanfare, and there's no real excitement. Matter of fact, people came to watch whoever the Warriors were playing, because there weren't even that many shirts on for the Warriors in the this, in this stadium. And, and you fast forward to, I don't know, 2014, 15, People got their house painted blue and yellow. <laughs> got tattoos of Steph Curry all on their chest. And I mean, the whole bay has changed. Like, we just been diehard warrior fans for life. And I just keep wondering how it happened. Because it wasn't like that when I got here. And, but, but what happens is you get some winning and, and, and the team gets some momentum. And, and who doesn't want to be part of the winning team? And so you get on the excitement and we're, we're going to the games and we're cheering and we're watching. And we're leaving work early because the game comes on at 3 o'clock. And it's all this fan because everybody wants to be with the winner. But you know the problem is? <laughs> it doesn't really amount to much of anything. Because the, the, the teams come and go. Condolences to the Raider fans, by the way. I'm just saying, I'm just saying. I'm just saying, I'm just trying to say, they come and go. It's just, I'm just saying. Oh, Lord, okay, let's wait for Jesus to come back in the building. Hold on. You know, the Raider fans are sensitive. Hold on a minute. Everybody pray. Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> about to have a fight in the church. Pastor, talking about my Raiders. I don't know who he think he is. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I take it back. <laughs> I take it back. I'm sorry. Okay, so anyway, what I was trying to say is that when we get caught up in things like that, we can put a lot of time and energy into stuff that may not be the best place to spend our energy. Somebody asked me, I was coming back from the airport. We were, I was with, in a pastor's conference, and so one of the guys I think was from the East Coast, so I'm, I'm pretty sure he's a big um, uh, a Patriots fan. He says, who are you rooting for? What team are you going for? Who's, who are you going for in the Super Bowl? And, and I said, you know, I've done some research, and I've, I've checked all the facts, and, and I am uh, convinced that I get paid exactly the same no matter who wins on Sunday. <laughs> My, my bank account isn't going to move at all. So I'll probably watch the game, but I'm not like investing my life in this football game. And, and I think that can be a dangerous thing when we get distracted. Even I love the saying of the Niners. What's, it, what's, what's the phrase? 49er faithful. That's an interesting word. 49er faithful. And this is a good time to be faithful if you're 49ers. Good time. Faithfulness is all we got right now. We just faithful in the name of Jesus. So um, <laughs> I'm equal opportunity. I try to get everybody. Okay. Um, so... So what I wanted to get back, now I'm all off. Can I get the slides, please, again? I forgot all about Jesus. What's I talking about? <laughs> Thank Daniel, yes. Back on Daniel. 
so my point was that Daniel did not get distracted by any of the things that were trying to call him away. From the beginning, he aligned his life, he aligned his mind, he aligned how he acted in accordance with who he represented. He had on the jersey of his God and refused to take it off, refused to switch it up. Next slide, please, Fred. Um, and it made me think about an irony. So there's been some changes in the NFL, right? Added some games, put the all-star game in front. And so it's interesting to me that now Super Bowl Sunday kicks off Black History Month. That's interesting. Kind of ironic. Giving some of the issues that we're seeing. And so again, if you'll let me kind of carry this metaphor a little further, then what, what I think is, is interesting is that there are certainly some conversations about the state of race and the state of um, treatment and the awareness of issues uh, around race in our country, in the NFL, and, and you certainly can't talk about this issue without thinking about the issue of the national anthem. And it's kind of died down this year. And I'm going to talk about that in just a second. But, but, but it was a hot button, right, since the middle of 2016. Very divisive. People felt strongly about uh, the movement that started with Colin Kaepernick and, and kneeling during the national anthem. And some people felt like it was just completely disrespectful. It disrespected the veterans. It disrespected current, active current service people. It, it disrespected people who were fighting and serving our country. And, and other folks said, it's, it said it's, it's, it's a protest that talks about injustice issues that we're facing. And wherever side of that issue you fell on, most people were very firmly attached to their side. And it was a hugely divisive issue. The NFL has been trying to figure out how to navigate its way through it and it's proposed some policy changes and the backlash from that kind of uh, caused them to retract. So right now it's just kind of an uneasy tension that it's still allowed but not really frowned on but there'll be no penalties and so we're just kind of in this space. But both ways, both sides are still very polarized about it and, and it made me think, well, what's the issue? What, what are we really upset about? What, what's really the cause of the tension? I went back and I started doing some research on this and, and I found a couple of interesting things. One, where it really comes from is this thing called the United States Code, which is kind of all of the code that talks about the laws and, and the government and statues. And, and in particular, there's a section that talks about the use of the flag and how you can use the flag and how the flag is supposed to be treated. And then a part of that code talks about the national anthem. So I just, just to frame this, I wanted to give us two pieces. So here's what the code says. Individuals in uniform should give the military salute at the first note of the anthem and maintain that position until the last note. And then section C says, all other persons present should face the flag and stand at attention with their right hand over their heart. And the men not in uniform, if applicable, should remove their headdresses with their right hand and hold it at their left shoulder, their hand being over the heart. This is in the government statutes. And, and it was interesting because where this really kind of came into being was uh, World War I. 
1918 or so that it was the first baseball game back on the East Coast. I think it was the Boston Red Sox and somebody else. And so, you know, it's morale is low, the middle of the war and men are, men are off fighting and people are kind of demoralized and, and their attendance was down and there was just not much uh, excitement. It was a, a very hard time for the country. And so what happens is the band starts playing the national anthem and it kind of rallied everybody together. And people remembered that we are Americans and we're in this battle and we're going to make it through. We're going to persevere. And and that kind of just grew. And so from that time, from 1918 to the early 1930s, it became more and more common that at sporting events, people would start out and sing the national anthem. And then by the time it got to early 1930s, it kind of became almost a law that this is what we do. But why is that? Why is the national anthem so important to be sung? Because what they realized and what the government would affirm in the reason for wanting it done at every event possible is because the anthem affects our thinking. Let me put it this way. Your anthem informs your identity. See, the reason this is such a polarizing topic is because this has an identity issue underneath it. People that feel like uh, kneeling during the anthem is disrespectful is because they're wondering, well, are you really with us? Are, are you really part of this team that we call America? Are, are you really going to support us? Are you, are you really willing to, to, to put us first? Are you willing to sacrifice? Or are, are you with us or against us? The anthems that we sing, the things that we play in our head, inform our priorities and our thoughts and really it gets to our identity. (laughs) People on the other side would then say, well, then if you're not with us, then your identity isn't really based in us. And I think even within the church, it becomes a very divisive issue, really along racial lines. Most non-white Christians Uh, have been reported to feel like they think that the protest is a valid way of expression of issues that they see in our country. And most um, mainstream um, white evangelical Christians believe that it's absolutely the worst thing that could be done and it's completely disrespectful. Even within the church, we are deeply divided on this issue. And I get wondering, why, why is that? I found a quote from this pastor, and he is not the official voice, but he's, he's pretty influential. I didn't put his name up because I don't think he was trying to be the official voice of it, but he, here's how he said it. He said, this issue is not about black, white, brown, red, or yellow. It's about respect for the country and its flag, which symbolizes we are one nation under God. The national anthem speaks of oneness and not division. It speaks of hope and unity, of poverty to wealth, from the ghetto to the presidency. I'm not exactly sure who he's talking about with ghetto to the presidency. I'm not sure there's any presidents from the ghetto, but anyway. The biblical principle of sowing and reaping is in effect here. Sow discord and will reap discord. Oppression is a horrible thing and needs to be taken head on, but take it to the town hall or the courts or social media. But in my opinion, using the national anthem during a football game draws a line in the wrong sand. Hmm. It's an interesting perspective. 
But it's talking about, again, the important thing in that moment when we sing the national anthem is to have us unified regardless of race and class and age and all the other things that we're divided by, that we should be able to unify around the fact that we are one nation under God. And that's the most important thing. I'm not sure I agree with that. I'm not sure that's how I would interpret this. But I say this, I respect one thing about what the quote said. He says that the biblical principle of sowing and reaping is in effect here. Even if I don't agree with his uh, interpretation, I respect the fact that the pastor started his response to the issue by saying, is there a biblical principle that I need to align my thinking with? That was his framework. He found something in the word of God that impacted and affected and shaped how he was going to respond to this this issue that blew up into a, a national divisive thing. And so my first word of encouragement would be when we have these issues, when we have things that we're wrestling with or trying to figure out, do we start with the biblical principle that we think God would have us live into? Where do we get our opinion from? Where do we get our agenda from? I view this really as what I called a nationalistic anthem. He's looking at it from the standpoint of what is our nationalistic identity and then how do I understand our response to this in light of that? And I say that's a flawed theology. We cannot start with our national identity as the framework by which we view the events that happen around us. Our theology cannot be based on a national identity. It has to start with the word of God, has to start with the will of God, and then everything else is shaped around that. Now, I think we we should understand that, but I think we have to understand that every theology is biblical. I mean, every, every... Every theology has to start from a biblical standpoint. So whatever hyphen you put, whatever you put in that space has to go. We can't have a nationalistic theology. We can't have a cultural theology. Yeah, I knew that wasn't going to get as many applauses on that one. See, because sometimes we can start from a cultural mindset. What's my cultural identity and, and, and what are the cultural uh, 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 statutes that I, that I cling to? How am I formed from, my, from who I am and where I'm from and my place of origin and the things that make up my cultural identity? And then let me view the world around me from that cultural theology. But that's just as bad as a national theology. We can't have anything that defines our understanding of who we are to be and how we are responding to these issues other than allowing the Bible and the word of God and the person of God and the nature of God to be the foundation from which we interpret the events in our life around us. That has to be the core. And so I I think that he's brought up an issue. There is a biblical issue, but I don't think it's reaping and sowing. I I think he got a hold of the wrong one. Because when I look at what the real motivation was, that it wasn't about political maneuvering. It wasn't about the, uh, the, the, the uh, ideal that we are all one nation first. It was a justice issue. I want us to hear this wonderful song. And maybe it can become your anthem. That when the world is throwing things at you, when you've got trials and issues and and things you're struggling with and hard relationships, you got to have an anthem playing that reminds you of who you are and whose you are and how you can possibly understand the complicated world that we live in. How do I walk this life representing my God? 
And maybe we need to do this. Maybe sports isn't your thing. Maybe it's not football or basketball. But we all have something that if we're honest, we've given too much of our time and energy to. Something that's got us too distracted from team Jesus, from team kingdom, from exalting the Lord with the best that we have of heart, mind, body, and soul. And so as we receive the elements, I want to encourage us to start with a time of confession and ask God to forgive us for all the things that we allowed to take our focus off of him for all the things that we celebrate more than we celebrate the incredible work of our Savior and ask him to keep us mindful that the victory won by Jesus is the best one we could ever ask, dream, or imagine. Jesus has won the victory. Hallelujah! Jesus has done it all. Paul says it this way, you are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ. My prayer is that we get a new song in our hearts and in our minds. You got to block out some of the garbage that the world is trying to get in your head. We got to filter out some of these messages. The world have us so lost and confused, but you are a child of the risen king of the faithful God of our daddy who loves us more than we could dream or ask or imagine. There is victory in your life because there is victory in Jesus. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this installment of Renewing Your Mind, a web-based ministry of South Bay Community Church located at 47385 Warm Springs Boulevard, Fremont, California. We can be found on the web at www.sobcc.org. We'd like to take a moment to invite you to come and join us in person for one of our dynamic Sunday morning worship services. Services begin at 8 a.m. and 10.30 a.m. each Sunday, and we would be so blessed to have you come worship with us. We'd also love to hear from you a word about how this ministry is helping you renew your mind for the glory of Jesus Christ. So please contact us, and we pray God's blessings over you the rest of this day. God bless.